0: We're going through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And this is where the book by book comes in. We're starting a new book today. We finished Jer- uh, Isaiah, now we're into Jeremiah, starting right now. Uh, so I'm glad. If you're just joining us, that's how we roll. Uh, we don't skip a verse or a chapter. And uh, I love that we have a church that's willing to do the work and go through the Bible. So this coming Wednesday night, seven o'clock online, we'll be uh, you know, ta- ta- tackling the introduction and chapter one. We'll see how far we get into maybe even chapter two. Of Jeremiah. Now, before we get into the verse that, that we're going to look at, we take a small verse or section on Sunday from our upcoming Wednesday through the Bible. So that's kind of how we roll here. But before I get into that, let's let's talk about Jeremiah. You know, the prophets of the Old Testament are kind of amazing. Um, I love the prophets, and uh, they're they're kind of amazing dudes. If you were to hand out prophet awards, if it were at the uh, sort of award ceremony of prophets. You know, the guy that was probably most successful, the guy with the most successful award would go to Jonah. Jonah was the prophet that, you know, was told by the Lord to go to Nineveh. And you guys remember the story, you know, he, he didn't want to go. God said, go, Jonah said, no. <laughs> and he bolted the other direction. And so, you know, he's trying to get away, but you can't get away from the Lord. And so eventually storm. you know, they throw him overboard. He gets swallowed up by a giant fish and he's in the belly of that fish for three days. It's a long time for those gastric juices of the whale or the whale or fish, the big belly, um, you know, of the whale and he's in there. And then, you know, finally the fish swims back toward the direction of Nineveh. (laughs) And then the fish barfs him on the beach. That's a bad day. You're a whale barf, pretty much. That's Jonah, a half digested whale barf. Uh, And so he walks back into the city. He's probably smelling like whale barf, uh, maybe looking like whale barf. And then he gets in the city and says, okay, whatever, repent, everybody repent. And the whole city repents. Everyone, in the, the Assyrians were a godless, horribly scary bunch of people, and yet they all repented. Most successful goes to Jonah. We won't give him the best attitude award, however. You know, if you wanna give the most eloquent award, that goes to Isaiah. We just finished the book of Isaiah. Man, that guy was eloquent. He knew how to use literary tools and techniques to create, creatively just give us God's word to the people. And Isaiah, man, smart. Intelligent, like he gets that smart, intelligent, creative, just the genius kind of award. You know, you could give Ezekiel the most mystic, myst, mysterious, mystical kind of award. I mean, when you read the book of Ezekiel, you're like, huh, what? Wheels spinning within wheels and all this stuff that he paints and portraits for us about the, the temple and, and stuff. We're gonna be getting into Ezekiel here in a while. But, but uh, man, the guy was kind of the artsy one, you know, if you would. And he gets the most creative award. Daniel might get the best prophecy award because, man, he prophesied the coming of the Messiah perhaps to the very day when he would ride into the Jerusalem there on the colt of a donkey and and also the end times and all that. Daniel, and also he gets the best man award, if you ask me. Daniel was the guy. Like what an amazing dude Daniel was. So when you're handing out the prophecy awards, what do you give to the prophet Jeremiah? Um, Well, I'm gonna be a little bit brutal here at first, but uh, and, but then we'll, we'll pull up. So don't get mad at me right out of the gate. But we give Jeremiah at first, the world for sure would give him the loser award. Jeremiah is the loser prophet from the world's perspective. What do you mean, Brett? Well, Jeremiah ministered for 42 years. That's how long the extent of his ministry was, 42 years. That's a pretty long time for anybody to have a career or a job. But especially when you're a prophet of the Lord, that was a tough gig as we will see here in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. But he was doing that for 42 years. But here's the problem. How many people were changed, transformed, listened to the words of Jeremiah the prophet in 42 years, the answer, zip. Not one person listened to one word Jeremiah ever said. Nobody said, oh, Jeremiah, you're right. We need to repent. Now with Isaiah and all the other prophets, there was a repentance and the Lord did some great things, but not one person said, Jeremiah is right. We gotta repent but everyone said, eh, we don't like him. What a jerk. In fact, they hated Jeremiah. So not only did they not listen to them, but they treated him badly. He'd be thrown into a dungeon uh, that was filled with mud. Um, He he was like uh, just, you know, beaten. And he would also, as we'll find out, be killed because ultimately he was a prophet of the Lord, but not one person listened to him. So you might give him, the world would give him the loser award. Even church people say, well, he's called the weeping prophet. Uh, that's a term you'll hear attached to Jeremiah all the time, because he was that. Now, was he a big crybaby? Because nobody listened to him? Nope, that's not why he was weeping. He would weep because of the sin of the people. He'd see their debauchery and their behavior and their, their you know distancing themselves from God. And so Jeremiah would just come and weep over the people. He's called the weeping prophet. So you say, well, Brett, what kind of award is that? The weeping prophet, the loser prophet. But here's where I love the, the thing about Jeremiah. Did you know that there was someone that came in history um, that people thought, this is Jeremiah resurrected from the dead. Does anybody remember? Who did they think was Jeremiah resurrected from the dead? Anybody? Anybody? Jesus. You can say it like this, Jesus. It's always the answer. Did you know, remember there when, they, when they, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And some people said, well, he's that prophet or you know, he's this or that. But one of the things they said, well, he's Jeremiah. They said, he's John the Baptist, come back from the dead. But they also said there, he's, he's Jeremiah the prophet. Why would they confuse Jesus as being Jeremiah the prophet? Maybe it's the weeping thing. Because remember when Jesus rode down in Jerusalem on the Palm Sunday, he wept over Jerusalem. and said, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd have known in this thy day, you know, Jesus was the man of many sorrows. Now, one thing about Jesus, you also, you also have to kind of acknowledge, he was anointed with the oil of gladness. I don't think he was the, the scary, angry hippie of the movies of Jesus, you know, that was, maybe looked like he smoked a little too much weed. Uh, That's not Jesus. Jesus was when little children ran up and and liked to sit on his lap. He was probably a joyful guy on one side, but we also know Jesus was a man of many sorrows, acquainted with grief, and he even wept over Jerusalem. And that's why they said, maybe he's Jeremiah, come back from the dead. So now we start to say, well, there's something about Jeremiah that was kind of Christ-like. That's pretty cool. But here's where, to me, this is where the awards come in. Who of all the prophets of the Old Testament did Jesus quote the most? Jeremiah. Isn't that awesome? The guy that nobody listened to, the guy that everybody rejected and nobody was saved, nobody was transformed. Jesus quoted Jeremiah more than he quoted Isaiah, the eloquent one, more than he quoted Daniel, the cool one, more than he quoted, you know, Ezekiel, the mysterious one. He quoted Jeremiah over and over again. I love that. What a redemptive thing. Jeremiah might just be the the, you know, the best prophet of them all because Jesus twos, chose to quote him more than all the others. And that's why I'm gonna to love to read with you guys as a church through this book of Jeremiah. Because man, he's got some stuff to say that nobody wanted to listen to, but they should have. Um, before we dive into this, let me, let me say something about that. You know, There's an obvious lesson here. Just because someone's speaking and everybody likes what they're saying, doesn't mean that the, what they're saying is true or even right. And just because nobody's listening and everybody's rejecting what that person's saying doesn't mean that it's wrong. Um, some of you, you know that are really big on social media be careful with this one. Have you ever noticed who gets the most follows and who gets the most likes and who gets the most clicks and all that stuff? Um, it, it, you know, like there, I, there's this guy um, that, um, that is on social media uh, that gives these great verses. He's from Athe Creek. I think he is, is on Instagram, it's uh, Shepherd's Heart. And it's just great. He gives some really cool verses and, and things, and you know, he's got he several hundred followers and you know, gets a few likes here and there, but I'm like, this is really great stuff. But then there's the eyelash ladies. Now, if you're an eyelash lady, I'm not talking about you. But there's eyelash ladies, and they've got 150,000 followers, and they show the latest eyelashes, and, whoosh, 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 and they're blinking their eyes. It's like you can feel the wind. You're like, whoa, those are some serious eyelashes. 150,000 followers, and you know, 10,000 likes on the latest. You know, you're like, wow, people are into eyelashes, apparently, as it turns out. No, who could care about a scripture or a word of encouragement for them, but those eyelashes, wow! Or, or, you know, like you could go on and on that musician or drummer or, you know, the, the surfer, you know, or whoever, they've got tens of thousands of followers, but the person, you know, and, and that's sort of how we tend to measure success as an influencer today. I'm not knocking the eyelashes or the, you know, uh, bowel movements or whatever you're talking about on your Instagram. It is funny what people talk about, click, 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 like, 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 like. But but here's the thing, here's the thing. Be careful because just because somebody has hundreds of thousands of followers doesn't mean that what they're saying biblically or scripturally or doctrinally is even right. Jeremiah was the guy everybody just shut down and didn't listen to, although he was in fact what God was saying at that time. And nobody was listening. God forbid that you and I, in a day of tons of communication, with news media and, you know, internet sites and bloggers and worship leaders and people, you know, spewing what they say is their worldview and their doctrine according to what they think the Bible says. But there's so much misinformation. I wonder, you know, uh, you know and, and I, it takes one to know, and you know, here we are, you know, a church of you know, 6,000 people. Um, and so I'm probably talking you know, the wrong, but I, I wonder if there's pastors out there that just have churches of 50 people. They're just speaking the truth, but nobody wants to hear it. You know, I'm thankful that I get to speak the truth from the Bible and go through the Bible with you guys and for some reason you guys are willing to endure and I love it because in the last days the Bible says people won't endure sound doctrine. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of big giant churches that just because they're giant doesn't necessarily mean they're speaking what is on God's heart. Jeremiah was the guy, the lone ranger, you know, speaking God's truth only to find um, that everybody hated him for it. Let's take a look, Jeremiah chapter two. The, the two verses I wanna show you today from our upcoming Wednesday, 12 and 13. Jeremiah chapter two, verses 12 and 13. Jeremiah is speaking the words of the Lord. And he says here in Jeremiah two twelve, be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Before we get into the crux of the matter, verse 13, verse 12 is interesting. I mean, here's God saying to humanity, be astonished, all universe, O ye heavens. Be, what's the word astonished? It could be like, be shocked, be stunned. Like, like um, what shocks you? What are you stunned by? Um, well, this is God saying, humanity and all the universe, be stunned by this, be shocked, be astonished, um, oh heavens, at this. And the second thing you're supposed to do, not only be stunned and shocked, but be horribly afraid. You know, last week uh, we talked about hell. Wasn't that fun? Um, and, and yet what's funny about hell, as scary and horrifying as it is, nowhere did God say, be horribly afraid of hell. We should be. And the Bible does imply that, but God didn't directly say that, be horribly afraid of hell. But God does say here, this is what you should be horribly afraid of. When you forsake me, God, the fountain of living water for some old broken down cistern that doesn't hold water. This admonition that we're about to study and meditate on, this is something God says, this is what you should be horribly afraid of. Hmm. See, when I read that in the Bible, when God is saying, "Be horribly afraid," don't you think you and I should be horribly afraid if God is saying to be horribly afraid about something? Um, you know, we're horribly afraid if our lashes aren't beautiful today. You know, I'm going to harp on that one for some reason. I don't know. It's just so much fun talking about that because um, <laughs> I don't do lashes. Uh, <laughs> I won't. I won't say anything that really is close to home for me. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, but no. You know, what are we to be horribly afraid of? It, it, it is, to, is to watch out for this admonition that Jeremiah is about to unveil to the people. My people have committed two evils. So these are evil things that people do. It's interesting, by the way, what does what the world define as evil? What is evil? And a lot of times we, we you know, put in the evil category, murder, which it is, wouldn't you agree, Evil murder is evil? Of course it is. You know, rape, murder, evil. There's things that are just evil. But the Bible calls things evil that the world doesn't even know that even is not even evil, but they don't even know that it's bad or a little bit off a little bit. This is one of those things. What have they done? Well, let's break it down. There's two main points here for the day. Number one, this is the first point that he says, two evils. Number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Um, notice that it's it's sort of a metaphor here that God is saying, I'm like a fountain of living water. That sounds really refreshing, doesn't it? You know, to have a nice refreshing, bubbling, cold brook. See, I grew up in Southern Oregon in the the backwoods of, you know, Roosh and Applegate. Um, And when I was a kid, man, you know, we we just had it made. We had the Applegate River right in my backyard, um, which was great, but we didn't drink out of the Applegate River. And I'll tell you why because there were stagnant parts of the river that would sort of flow. And there were also skinny dippers and stuff up the river, you know, a bunch of hippies. And you didn't know what they were doing in the water, you know what I'm saying? So we were kind of like, yeah, we'd never drink out of that. But me and my buddies, my next door neighbor, Kurt, we'd get on our dirt bikes and head up into the mountains and we'd just go ride up there. And then there was was streams that would come right off the the snowfall, you know, and and it's ice cold water. And it was just, you know, bubbling little brooks coming down the rocks. And that's where we would just, oh, so great. You just get some water. We get crawdads out of there and you boil them up. And, you know, it was just like fun as a kid growing up with this, this uh, fresh water. You, just, you could just drink it and not worry about sickness or anything like that. That's what I think of is as, as when, when this, you know, fountain of living water, that's what it's, it's talking about. What a picture. But here they have forsaken that for something else. We'll talk about what the, what the cistern and broken cisterns are like. But why would anybody forsake something so wonderful? Now, before we get into this too much, you, know, you have to ask yourself, do you even know what the, the fountain of living water is? Have you ever tasted? The psalmist declared, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, and there, sadly, there's some that might be watching online, or maybe even here this morning, who you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is this refreshing source of total satisfaction. People look to everything else in this world to try to satisfy their thirsty soul only to find that it's, it's an empty, broken down cistern that doesn't have any real water. And you're gonna be thirsty again. Oh man, I can't you know, speak about this without reminding you of John's gospel, chapter four. Remember when John told his disciples, hey, disciples, we need to go through Samaria. And the guy's were like, Samaria? What area? Some area?" No, like Samaria, the place called Samaria. (laughs) Yeah, okay, we'll go to Samaria. What's the problem with Samaria? Well, the Jews hated Samaritans. See, the Samaritans were a a people that used to be the Jews. And then when they were attacked by the Assyrian people centuries earlier, they they were taken prisoners and they became sort of half Jew, half Assyrian. And then they came back into that region as sort of Jewish slash Assyrians. So the Jews said, you guys are half breeds. That's what they called them. And you're, that's why they hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. So when Jesus told his disciples, we need to go through Samaria, the guy's were like, what? We're not going through Samaria. We're going to Samaria. So Jesus goes to Samaria and he goes to this well um, where this woman is drawing water. Um, and, and he says, woman, would you give me something to drink? And she looks at him stunned. Speaking of being shocked and astonished, that's what she was. And she says, how is it that you being a Jew are asking me, a woman of Samaria. See, there's already um, strikes against her. There's three strikes. Number one, um, a Jew. They would not even be caught dead in Samaria, but there's just, how is it that you are a Jew? Strike one. Um, In Samaria, talking to me, a a woman, strike two, because in, in those days, you know, there was this weird cultural thing that treated women horribly. And for a man to talk to a woman, let alone a Jew to talk to a woman. But not only that, strike three, she was a woman of Samaria at the well at a certain time of the day. What di- time of day, what does that matter? Well, later on, the story reveals this woman. She, uh, she's a woman that's probably a prostitute, the town prostitute. How do you know that? Couple bits of evidence. Jesus is gonna remind her and we're gonna find out that she has lots of guys that she's had as husbands and that she's sleeping with and all this stuff. And that's kind of who this woman is. She, she's that, but also the time of day that she goes to the well. The people that would go at that time of the day were the lowest of the low. There were certain times where the wealthy, happy people would be, but the people that were low, 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 that's where Jesus went. So he talked to this woman at the well in Samaria who was probably a prostitute. And he says, would you give me something to drink? He says, how is it? This is crazy that you would even be here asking me, a woman, to give you drink. Well, I love the story because Jesus, he starts talking in a way that's a little bit mysterious. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that said, do you give me to drink? Thou wouldest ask him and he would have given you, speaking of himself, living water. Now Jesus is getting very spiritual with this woman. And the woman said to him, sir, I have nothing to draw with. You have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where do you get this water, this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself? And here's where Jesus nails it down. Check this out. And this is, you know, you can jot it in your notes. John 4, um, 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water, probably pointing to the well, you'll thirst again but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life." See, Jesus is revealing to this prostitute woman of Samaria that he is the fulfillment really of Jeremiah. He's this fountain, you see how now it says they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. As it turns out, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he's the one who's, who's the fountain of living water. And he's telling this woman, you know, I asked you for some water from this well, but you'll thirst again with this. But if you drink of the well of the water that I give, you're never gonna thirst again. I'm the one who's gonna satisfy whatever you have need. And not only that, eternal life. Well, the woman says, man, you know, she says, please give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now, before Jesus says, okay, I'll give you the water, he says, first, before we do this, would you go home and get your husband? Now, why did he ask that? Well, one of the things that when the Lord wants to save us, he's got to deal with something called sin. We have to realize we're sinners and kind of be be repentant of those sins. So Jesus says, hey, why don't you go get your husband and then we'll talk about this water. And the woman says unto him, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, liar! No, didn't say that. I just made that up, sorry. But that's what she was. But I love how Jesus so gently deals with her. she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said you have no husband, for thou hast five husbands. And he who is now your husband is not your husband at all. In that you have spoken truly. (laughs) I love how Jesus just kind of affirms, yeah, good word that you have no husband because you have five. the guy you're sleeping with right now is not even your husband. And the woman says unto him, sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. <laughs> I love that. I think you, yeah, you know stuff. Now, as soon as she realizes he's a spiritual prophet guy, she says, our fathers worship in this mountain, the Jews worship in, in Jerusalem, which mountain is the proper place to worship? And Jesus said, you know, it's neither place, but there's coming a day where the father will seek those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman and he's ta- they start talking about this and then she says, "Well, there's supposed to be a Messiah coming. When is he going to come? Who is the Messiah?" She says. She realizes this guy is something. He's a prophet who knows stuff. So who's this Messiah? And Jesus says to her, "I that speaketh unto thee am He." That's something. And the woman, right then, you know what she does? I'll read it to you. It says, "As soon as she saw that, she left her water pot at the well and went into the city." And she said to the men of the city, come and see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Now think with me for a second. (laughs) The town prostitute comes running in town. Hey everybody. And all the men come out, all the men. She says, I I met a man, he's out here and he told me everything I ever did. Do you think that made some of the men of the town nervous? The the town prostitute? Yeah, this guy told me everything. Uh, Everything? Everything. And all the people went out to see this guy, Jesus. I love this. It's like the whole town had some sins to deal with. But Jesus is the place you bring your sins. Not for condemnation, but for salvation. And I believe that whole town would be blessed because Jesus was there, the Messiah. It's great stuff. And this woman, her sins were forgiven. But I love the story because the thing she came for was for water in a well. But I love how she left her water pot And she followed Jesus from that day forward, the thing that would satisfy her thirsty soul long-term. So before we even get into the the cisterns that are broken and forsaking the fountain, man, I hope first of all, like the woman at the well, you've found that Jesus is the source of life. You might be trying to find it with so many other things, but it's just gonna be a dead end, trust me. Anybody who's older in here knows what I'm talking about. The things we chase after, that we hope that'll satisfy our thirsty souls, is it wealth? Those of you that have achieved a wealth, you don't even know it. Most of you are like, I remember, I remember when Donald Trump back in the 80s, they asked, how much is too much money for you? And he said, I will never have enough. And they said, are you happy? No, he said, back in the 80s. And they said, well, when, when is enough money enough money? And he said, never. I remember that in the 80s and I thought, wow, it's funny how one of the richest guys in America, you know, at, back in the 1980s was saying that, that You know, wealth is is fleeting. The Bible says, don't put your trust in uncertain riches. But if it's not wealth, maybe it's your career. Maybe you thought that's the thing that'll satisfy my soul, having a career where I'm important and people think I'm a person of substance and talent and giftings. The problem is, retirement is coming whether you like it or not. And all you get at retirement is a stupid gold watch, maybe a plaque. And there you are as a grandma and grandpa going, well, grandkids, listen, I used to work in this department and I used to do this. And the grandkids, yeah, now computers do that. That's not even a position anymore. It's like, nobody even cares. Like, like, and then you think, man, I put my whole life. Now there's, now i have got to say, the Bible commends a person who gets a job and works hard and has a career. It's not that it's bad, but if if that's the thing that you think is going to satisfy your soul, but the problem is, once you realize the career doesn't do it, people will go to other things. And, and eventually, there's a lot of people who get to a point in life, they're like, what, what is it? And so they, they drown their sorrows and they think, just one more drink, then I'll be satisfied. Just get me out of my misery. One more drink or one more, you know, you know the, 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 the addictive things, you know, the things that we keep feeding our souls to try to patch things up, whether it's, you know, smoking your weed. You know, I, I, I have to say as a pastor, the legalization of marijuana has not been good for, for Christian people. I got to say that because I'm a pastor of a church and I see what's, what's happening. You know, the thing is, whether people want to admit it or not, it is in fact, whether you want to admit it or not. I know some of you weed people out there are like, but no, that's not true. Um, I'm just smoking an herb of God. God created the herb. Well, he also created poison oak. You're not smoking that. Um, it's an herb. Um, no, I'm, I'm just messing with but. The gateway drug thing is something we see in ministry all the time. People start smoking weed or you know, even alcohol and stuff and, and then it becomes stronger and stronger and you start seeing lives really start to get messed up. Um, there's a interesting thing that happened years ago. I remember this young girl. She was very pretty young. She'd come to church every Sunday and and uh, she always sat in the same exact place, um, you know. Uh, and it was always, you know, I knew if she was there or not. It was that kind of thing. Some of you that sit in the same seat every time, it's like I know. You're like I know your attendance. When you're not here, it's like, well, it's 10 o'clock, and they're they're not in their normal spot. I wonder where they are. Vacation, maybe? No, I, I'm not checking up on you that much. But, but, but uh, she would sit in the same spot, and uh, and and she just kind of sit there. And and then um, and then eventually she started coming with her boy a boyfriend. And the boyfriend and her would sit there. And, uh, and I remember after several years, um, she actually one Sunday looked up and, and accepted Christ and raised her and said, I want to become a Christian. And I was kind of shocked, like, man, she's been here for years, you know? But it was kind of cool. And then about a year later, she called the office and I'd never met her or talked with. her, I just saw her there, you know? But she, she called Judy Slaughter, one of our women's you know, counselor and, and, and Judy and I sat down with her and she said, Brett, I just want to tell you and Judy kind of my story. And as she told us her story, I was stunned. She was a person who um, liked to smoke a little weed before church because it, felt, it made her feel like she was just a little more calm and, and she would come in and, and like more worshipful, somehow it was more anointed that she was smoking her weed and she'd come in and be a part of the, you know, the church thing. But, but, but then she met this guy who said, oh, it's not about the, the weed, it's about these other drugs. And she started taking drugs with this guy before church, her boyfriend, and she'd come in and sit back there with her boyfriend and they were high stoned, wasted. Um, and, then, and then he got her into meth and they were doing hardcore meth for like a year. And, uh, and um, she said, man, nobody knew that we were just sitting there totally out of our minds. And, um, and then she said one Sunday, she said she was high on meth. I don't even know what that really even means, but <laughs> she was. And she said, when I gave that invitation, she doesn't even remember the sermon at all but she remembers when I gave that invitation to accept Christ and repent of her sins. She said she felt this heavy hand of God on her head. Like God just, like he was pushing saying, it's time to stop, it's time to repent. And she just said, it was like the hand of God pressing on my shoulder or whatever. And, um, and that's when she looked up and said, I wanna become a Christian right then. And from that day forward, she never took another drug. She never wants, and she wanted to tell us that story because she, she was reminding us, uh, you know, don't, don't just think because people are sitting happily in the service that everybody's all rosy and their, their lives are squared away. And that's something as a pastor, I just know for sure. Don't be a person who thinks if you're in this service with a bunch of people, they're not all pristine, stained glass Christians. There's a lot of people that are still struggling with life and still trying to find out what's right and what's wrong and how to live this life. But I love this. that this girl, she said, man, once I realized that Jesus was the answer, she forsook the meth and the weed and the drugs and all that stuff. And she, and man, you know, her life was already spiraling. You know, that meth, you know, you see these pictures of people who've been on meth for any length of time. Their teeth are gone, they look like a 90-year-old person, even though they're in their 20s, you know? And she was headed there fast. But it's so cool to see how the Lord redeemed that, and, and she's walking with the Lord to this day. Um, one of the things, if you have not tasted that the Lord is the answer, if you've not accepted Christ, what you do is so simple to be saved. To be a Christian, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you have to go to church or give money or any of that stuff. Being a Christian is realizing you're a sinner and you need to be saved from your sins. Being a, being a person who repents of their sins. What is repentance? It means to change your mind and go the opposite direction. It's just that simple. So you confess with your mouth, Romans chapter 10 says, and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross for your sins was buried and then rose from the grave. And by rising from the grave, it shows us that he was the Messiah. He was, a, he was more than just a man. He was God who would visit us, died on the cross for our sins. And that's how you're forgiven. You didn't deserve it. You didn't, we didn't earn it. We just have this free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. That's the fountain of everlasting life. And and man, that's the key. I hope you've first of all accepted that and believed that. But here's where this story gets a little scary in Jeremiah. These people had forsaken the fountain. Implication, they once were drinking of the fountain. They knew about the fountain, but for whatever harebrained reason, they forsook the fountain. I wonder if it's possible for we that have been saved and we've been able to drink the cold, refreshing water of Jesus and, and we know that it's true, and, you know, academically, mentally, we know that it's right. But are we still tempted to go and drink of the other broken down cisterns? The answer is absolutely yes. I worry about this, you know, lockdown era. All, you know, this era that we've lived, 2020 has been a tough year and we see rioting and, you know, and, and trouble and people are locked down and all this stuff. And, you know, one of the reasons we're opening our church again is because lives are being really ruined People need fellowship. They need to come into, into church and have a, a place to meet and, and be with each other and stand alongside of each other. Um, but you know we've seen addiction, on, especially alcohol, uh, skyrocket. We see suicide on the rise across the nation. But I also am concerned that the longer people just sit at home on Sunday morning, um, that they, they forget the fountain of living water. They don't have old Pastor Brett to remind them weekly of what the word says about Jesus. And so they're sitting at home going, man, our troubles and life is depressing and anxiety is creeping in. And and so they're turning to the old broken down water holes. What are some of those old watering holes that you would go to? You know, there's, there's things that can't even be good, but they become bad. Have you ever seen a person that becomes, you know, so obsessed by working out to get their bodies in shape that you're kind of concerned for them? I don't have that problem. But I know people, Uh, you know, you go to the gym and it's an insane workout, work out, and you're going to be in great shape. Guess what? Did you know that 10 out of every 10 people die? The statistics on death are alarming. And there's going to be a day where gravity will win. You can work out. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's great working out. But I've seen people where that is the watering hole that they're thinking, if I can only get in great shape, and man, they just start living, eating, breathing, sleeping, working out, working out, working out. Or or we could talk about, you know, whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography. People, I think in this lockdown era, people are looking for things as they find themselves kind of stuck. Don't forget, don't go to the old watering holes that never satisfy, but stick with the fountain of living water. And you know it to be true. You know that Jesus is the one that refreshes our thirsty soul. But man, somehow along the way, we can be like the Jews of Jeremiah's day, that we forget that Jesus is the one that satisfies our thirsty soul. Um, by the way, um, you know, why do we uh, forsake the fountain of living water? We, I think there's a hint here in our text. Uh, can we do a sneak preview of Wednesday night? Would you back up a few verses here in Jeremiah two? Look at verse five. I think we learned why the Jews got to this place. It says in verse five of Jeremiah two, thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me? The Lord saying, that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and have become vain. Neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through the land of deserts and of pits, through the land of drought and through the shadow of death, through the land that no man passed through where no man dwelt. And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered You defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination." When did they forget the Lord, the fountain of living water? When they got into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, and they got their vineyards and their houses, and they got their stuff, and they were all like, yeah, we're good, we're, we're comfortable, we're happy. Forget the Lord. That's what the Lord's saying, you forgot me. After I did all those things for you, you forgot me when you got fat and happy living comfortably in the promised land. And you know what, frankly, you and I, as Oregonians, and some of you that are online, man, if we're Americans, we, we, live, we live pretty large. You know, we live pretty comfortably. And I think that's why we forget the Lord. We don't even know we have a need for the Lord. And, and we, all the while, we're wondering why we're, why we're miserable. And we've forsaken the fountain of living water because we've got a house and a car and we've got food and we've got no real serious worries. That was the condition of the people of Israel. They they were comfortable living peaceably and they forgot the fountain and they forsook the fountain of living water. So number one, they forsook the fountain. Number two, what was the second evil? My people have committed two evils. Number two, they have hewed them out, broken cisterns. Now, what does this mean? Well, in Bible times, this is a very practical image that the Jews would have known exactly what the prophet Jeremiah. Now we don't talk as much about cisterns. Um, I I have to say, I've studied cisterns to a certain degree and I've traveled all over the world and seen all kinds of cisterns. I'll show you some of my favorite ones. There's a cistern here uh, and uh, this, you can't see very good here if you're live, but if you're online, you're getting it in HD, uh, live and in color, but but, uh, you can look at this later if you're really interested online. But um, this is Nimrod's castle. And I wanna show you a little video footage that we got last time we were there. Um, This is an ancient crusader era castle, but it was built actually by the Ottomans, which is strange, because they were the enemies of the crusader, but they built a crusader castle. But this castle is pretty cool, because there's there's parts of it that are still totally intact. And I was doing a little teaching right there. Um, But as you go into this uh, turret, there's this little staircase that goes down, this dark little staircase that goes down into this is their water cistern right here. And uh, it, you know the roof's off of it now, but they, they dug out this pit out of stone and then built stones around it. And then the water would flow into that lower part that's solid rock uh, and they'd carve that out. And then the people would come down and bathe and get their water. This was Nimrod's castle. Um, but this was probably not like the cistern that's hold water uh, that, that, that Jeremiah was talking about. I'll show you. This is Petro. I take groups there. When we go to Israel, we cross the border into Israel. This is the treasury, um, You know, Indiana Jones movie, that whole thing. Um, but all that to say, uh, as you go through this, this is in the middle of, the no, of nowhere, out in the desert. And uh, it's so fun to visit. And it's about a 13-mile hike that we do in a, in a morning, uh, just going through this place. Um, you can ride camels if you really want to. But, uh, but these, these facades carved into sandstone are just impressive. But see this? This is an A.C. Creeker walking right next to this trough. See that little trough carved into sandstone? These two troughs on the two sides of the walkway? Those are cistern um, gutters, and water flows down these cliffs, down into the gutter. You can see the gutter on the left side. They're all worn out now because of thousands of years and the earthquakes have broken stuff up. But you can see this little cart going by those two troughs on the right and the left, where water flows down the cliff, flows into this little trough, and then flows from this little trough. And then these Nabataeans, back in the you know, 200 BC, carved these little gutters that flowed miles Uh, down into these big cisterns. And I don't have pictures of, uh, I couldn't find any of my pictures of these giant cisterns. But there's this one up on the top of a cliff right here where they carved a a little cistern um, that that, uh, we got a shot of that I was able to show. But um, this is like an example of of a cistern. Now, question, if you're thirsty, would you rather have the creek that I was telling you about in Southern Oregon in the mountains coming off the freshly fallen snow where it's bubbling and it's flowing? Or would you rather drink this right here? This reminds me of my freshman year in football when we'd get to the water cooler and the seniors had already dipped their helmets in and were drinking out of the hole in their helmet. The juniors, the sophomores, by the time we freshmen got there, the water looked kind of like this, green and murky. But we got all the vitamins and iron that you need. You know what I mean? I mean, some of you guys go to these juicer places and buy stuff like that all the time. So uh, you'd love it probably, but (laughs) I'm just messing with you guys, you juicer people. But um, maybe you should start an Instagram site on juicers and get 100,000 followers. Um, but but, but I'd, I'd take the bubbling brook, wouldn't you? But see, here's the problem. These cisterns, they, they, they what happens with earthquakes and stuff like that, these cisterns would start to crack and break. And then what, what good is a cistern after that? This is important to our lesson. Because here, when a cistern cracks or breaks, it's only good for one of two things. And, and, and you can see archeological evidence in Petra of this. When a cistern broke and cracked, it would never hold water, so that it was good for two things. It was either a dungeon, number one. This one's too shallow to be a dungeon, but there's other ones you drop a person and there's no way you can get out. Um, number two, a tomb. They would use broken cisterns for dungeons and for tombs. Um, there's an example of this, by the way, um, in, uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, this is the garden tomb. Some people believe this could be the very tomb that Jesus was buried in. We don't know for sure but it is a tomb in Jerusalem from the first century. And it's a beautiful spot. We do some worship there and we walk around, but our tour group, they don't even know we're walking on top of this giant garden cistern that's under the ground here at the garden tomb. And there's no pictures of it hardly anywhere. And, and you can't see it. That's why I don't talk much about it with our groups because you can't see it. There is a little hole that you can go kind of look in. It's just a big dark hole and you can like whistle. And you know it and it echoes through the, this giant cistern, that's not the hole, um, but, but water kind of trickles in to this cistern that's in the garden tomb area. Here, I'll show you the, the hole here in a second where, where you can kind of look down into the cistern. The reason I wanna show you this one, this could have been the cistern Jeremiah was talking about because this is in the middle of Jerusalem and Jeremiah is talking about hewn out cisterns that were hewn out of solid stone. So here's a picture of the cistern underneath the garden tomb. And this is probably me shooting this footage because it's kind of shaky. Uh, Micah shoots all the good stuff. Um, but this is me trying to get my way. You can look down into this this little, this little hole and there, underneath there is this. And this is a picture that you can get from there at the garden tomb place. But that's what you're standing on. This is a hewn out cistern out of solid rock, Jerusalem limestone in Jerusalem. This was a very kind of cistern that Jeremiah was talking about. And that's why you can picture this being a dungeon. Can you imagine being lowered in by a rope down into there? There's not, it'd not be very easy. Even if you're good at mountain or rock climbing, it'd be hard to get out of that dungeon. Uh, So it was a prison or it became a tomb. And here's the thing that I want you to see. When it says you've hewn out these cisterns, broken cisterns, um, in a way you can almost imply that, that, Jeremiah, the Lord, speaking through Jeremiah, saying, you know, you think it's gonna satisfy you and give you water and sustenance, but it actually brings death. It's a tomb and it's a prison. You think that alcohol thing is gonna give you sort of a reprieve and, and, and your soul will be relieved, but it's actually a dungeon and it's a prison. You think that pornography addiction is gonna be the next thrill and it's gonna somehow satisfy your thirsty soul, but it only leads to more, you know, clicking away on the internet and thinking that it's gonna make you better or happier somehow, but it only leaves you empty. It's a dungeon, it's a tomb. The cistern that you're looking for water becomes a dungeon or a tomb. What you're looking for is Jesus. You gotta fill your life with Christ. You gotta look to Jesus to satisfy your thirsty soul. You know, Jesus is the only one who truly satisfies. And whatever you're longing, see, and that's what you have to ask yourself, each one of you. What is my proclivity when I feel empty inside? What do I do? For some of you, lazy boy, click away, watching TV. Well, just check my brain out, and I feel empty, so I'm going to watch this show. And you watch the show, and guess what? You feel emptier after the show. Have you ever noticed that? Or, or maybe it's it's you know not you know maybe it's shopping. Some of you might say, "Yeah, shop to you drop, man. I feel so depressed. I think I'm going to go shopping." Now it's dangerous, man, Amazon. Click, 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 click. And man, the Amazon trucks just keep spinning around the front door, you know, it's like, man, wait till those drones start coming, just dropping presents that you're, you know, click, 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 click. You know, like some, some of you, that's your, that is your cistern that you're queuing out that brings about death and prison because you can't pay your bills, they throw you in prison. <laughs> what is it that you are tempted by? And see, the problem is we have to ask ourselves, Because the Lord says, be horribly afraid about this, forsaking the fountain of living water and going to those old broken down cisterns. The Lord said, be afraid of that. And that's why I want us all, don't be thinking about somebody else, but what is your thing? What is your go-to that you somehow, maybe not even purposefully, but you kind of move away from Jesus and you know Jesus satisfies, you've tasted and seen, but you, 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 you keep going back thinking, I'm gonna, if I could just get that chicken coop and have eggs and chickens, that'll make me happy. But where are you getting all these things? These are real examples I'm giving you from people in church that we think, if I could just get that house or that car, or if I can go faster or jump higher or be stronger. And, and, and people just chase after old broken down cisterns. I worry because Corey Ten Boom, you know, I always quote this quote. is one of my favorite quotes. When she said as a former, you know, victim of Nazi Germany, who was thrown in a concentration camp and all her family was killed. And she was skeletal and almost dead when finally, you know, the allies came and um, freed up everybody out of those concentration camps. But the only, she, all she had was just skin and bones and lice and death all around her. And she's the one who said this. She said, you'll never, or you, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. See, and you and I, we have so much, we we go, oh yeah, Jesus is good, yeah, 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 whatever, but eyelashes, or losing weight, or that car, that house, or new job, or the career, and we miss that, and I worry that she might be right. You may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Um, You know, it was St. Augustine who said this, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, that is, Jesus Christ. Even old Ben Franklin had something to say that even though he wasn't necessarily a Jesus follower, he knew the principle. Even the world knows the principle. Contentment makes poor men rich, discontentment makes rich men poor. See, it becomes a, an issue of am I content to know that Jesus satisfies my thirsty soul? And I'm gonna pursue Christ all my life. I'm gonna worship Jesus. I'm gonna read the scriptures about Jesus. I'm gonna be around people that love Jesus. And as you do that more and more, you find your soul satisfied because you're drinking of the refreshing source of joy, Jesus. Or you can go back to the old watering holes, the old broken down cisterns that don't even hold water, the Bible says. Man, I'll tell you, today as we think about this, would you, would you do business with the Lord today and say, Lord, is, are there things that I give too much emphasis on what I'm chasing after. And it's okay to chase eyelashes and cars and a house and all that stuff, that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that unless it becomes something that you think it's gonna make you really happy, it's gonna satisfy your soul and that will only lead to disappointment. What is it that you needed to say, Lord, I give that back to you. I'm gonna gonna give back to you the stuff that I've been going, these old broken down cisterns that I think they're gonna make me happy, but they really aren't and they never will. What, what is it for you? And just go back to Jesus. I, one of the things I love about being a Christian is when you find yourself in sin and doing stupid things, which we do all the time, I do all the time. Don't you love how you're just one repentant prayer away from the Lord and the Lord says, I forgive you for that. He doesn't hold it against you. Well, we'll see how you do. I mean, that's what other people do. When you apologize to somebody you've, you've wronged, I'm really sorry. Well, okay, we'll see if you uh, really learned your lesson. It's not God. God just says, you're sorry, I forgive you. And I remember your sins no more. I'm gonna put that sin as far as the east is from the west, an infinite space. And, And I look at you as a brand new creation, a new creature right now. Don't you love that God is that forgiving, that his grace, undeserved, unearned favor that the Lord shows to us, it's sufficient for you, the Bible says.